right. Well, good evening. Would you turn in your Bibles to Psalm 19. We have a prayer request. Uh, Lori Martin uh, was admitted to Madigan Hospital for an infection. You know, she's been um, healing after some uh, procedures done on her and everything. And so she just asked for prayer for comfort and healing and wisdom for the doctors. Um, and then we also wanted to continue to lift up Carrie Palmer and her recovery as well. So let's pray for those and for the study tonight. Lord, uh, we do lift up Lori to you. Lord, we ask that you would be with her right now, that you would comfort her. Lord, that you would minister to her heart and her spirit, Lord, as she's there in the hospital, that uh, by your spirit you would speak to her. Bring, her. bring to her remembrance, Lord, the words of comfort from your scriptures, Lord, and that uh, she just might be in that place of close fellowship with you right now and just trusting in you. We pray that uh, she would have uh, just the right perspective about the things that are going on with her, Lord, and just leaning on and trusting in you. And we pray this for Robert as well as his bride is there, Lord, with this health issue. Lord, we do pray for her healing, that you would touch and heal her, Lord. And we pray for the doctors, that you would give them wisdom and discernment as they're treating her, Lord, that this effect, infection would be cleared up. Um, and she would just be restored and able to come home and, and be with Robert, Lord, and, and uh, be in good health again, Lord. We ask that you would continue to minister to her, Lord. And we pray for Carrie as well. Uh, we thank you so much for the, just the miracle of healing that we've seen so far. And we pray that you would continue to heal her, to touch her, to be with her, to speak to her, Lord. And, and we pray that you would just restore these things that uh, seem to have been lost, Lord, because of... Uh, everything that's gone on with her health, Lord. We know nothing is too uh, large for you, Lord, and you can heal and restore these things. So we pray that for her right now, Lord. Lord, we pray for our study tonight uh, as we get into your word, as we ponder this psalm, Lord, as we look at the things that David was meditating on and, and thinking about, Lord, and, and writing about, that we uh, would experience the same things. We would see uh, what he saw, Lord, and and rejoice in wonder and awe, Lord, at your power and the things that you've done, and uh, and gain a right understanding and recognition of your word, Lord, as we study these things tonight. We ask that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us, Lord, in your name, Amen. amen. Psalm nineteen. C.S. Lewis said, this is the greatest lyric and greatest poetry ever written, this psalm. Uh, and uh, this is one of my favorite psalms. So let's read it. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utter speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard, their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Beautiful. 
David here. He is, as you know, David, he was a shepherd boy. Uh, and shepherds uh, spend their days and nights out in creation. They're out with the sheep in the pastures, uh, in, in the Middle East there, in the hillsides, and up on the mountaintops, and along the rivers. They're out uh, through all times of the year, keeping watch over their herds and their flocks. And David, I'm sure he was out there all of the time growing up, uh, and firsthand experienced the beauty of God's creation. If you've ever spent the night uh, outdoors in a place where there's no light pollution from the cities uh, and, and you've looked up at the heavens and you've seen just the glory of the stars and the things that are out there um, that we can see at nighttime and the beauty of the daytime where we, we watch the sun and the changing of the seasons and, and just the beauty of God's creation, uh, we can, as believers, look at those things and we can rightly say just how glorious and majestic the Lord is based on what we can see. David here, he's writing of these things, of course, from firsthand experience. And he starts here, he says, the heavens declare the glory of God. That word heavens, uh, it, it speaks of the place where the stars are, where, where everything above the earth, what can be seen there. And he says that, that all of this expanse of sky that we can see declares the glory of God. And that word declare in the Hebrew is to recount. It also means to celebrate or to uh, record as in a book. So David, he's seeing these things. He's saying the heavens that you can see above us declares, recounts, celebrates, records as in a book the glory of God, what can be seen. Uh, you've, if you've done any studying on philosophy or on uh, theology uh, and you've looked at proofs or, or arguments for the existence, existence of God, you know that, that there's a philosophical argument about the universe that because the universe exists, there has to be some sort of origin of the universe and looking at it. And uh, up until relatively modern times, all peoples uh, agreed that there was some designer outside of creation. It's only until modern times when man has rejected God as creator where now men are saying that the world has come, the universe has come into existence of its own accord without any originator. Uh, and yet, at the same time, more and more so, we see in the last I don't know, 20 years, maybe more than that, we've seen this change and this shift in science and, and people who study things like astronomy and cosmology and all of these things um, to say as they look up at the universe, at the stars, and at all of the things that we can see up there to say that the argument for a design and how all of these things work together uh, the patterns that we see, the movements of, of what we can see, all of them are orchestrated in such a fashion as to point that, that these things are no accident, that there's a design there. And we even see in, in secular science a push, a move away from the materialistic worldview that has rejected uh, any sort of outside influence on the universe to say there must have been some sort of intelligent designer out there. So even man in, in his uh, struggle to understand the universe is uh, at, in some aspects coming to this understanding uh, that there truly is a creator out there or at least a designer with no, of course, understanding and a lot of times no definition as to what that means. We watched a video many years ago um, from one of the most famous atheists, I can't even remember his name right now, uh, Richard Dawkins, there it came to me. If you guys remember that, we watched that here on a Wednesday night um, where he had to come to the point where basically admitting that there's some sort of design there in the earth and the world that we see, but rather than coming to the conclusion of the scriptures that this designer is the God of the Bible as revealed in the scriptures, he said, well, maybe it's aliens that... <laughs> 
uh, created the world and the earth that we see around us. Nevertheless, as David writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. We don't have time to go into it, but uh, there is some interesting research on uh, the constellations that we see in the skies. Uh, Chuck Missler did a lot of studies about it. It's very interesting. Uh, some of it's speculative and everything, but there's an interesting study on the constellations in their relation to what's called the Maseroth, which is wrongly called the Hebrew Zodiac. Um, but the Maseroth is essentially a story in the stars, just like David's writing here to record is in a book, the heavens declaring that. And when you look at the names of the stars in each of these constellations, going from the brightest of the stars on down in brightness, you see that the, the distorted and twisted picture that we have in kind of the zodiac signs of Virgo and, and, and Leo and all of these other constellations that are out there, that there's actually a story that, that closely matches the story of redemption, uh, of uh, a savior born of the seed of a virgin woman in the constellation Virgo, uh, and, and many others. We don't have, again, I have time to go deep within it, but I think it's very interesting that there, uh, even in ancient Hebrew times, as they were naming the stars, as they were looking up at the heavens, they were uh, saying that they told a story of God's work and his majesty and creation and redemption even, and lining up with things that we see in the scriptures. Uh, I, I can't wait for the day when we're in heaven and we can truly understand how God's creation really represents and speaks to and declares and recounts and celebrates the Lord and his work. Uh, one thing to note here in this first portion of Psalm 19 is that you'll notice that the only time God is mentioned is in that first verse. The heavens declaring the glory of God, and that word there is El, uh, and it's just God, just that word God. It's not a specific name, Yahweh, which we see in verse 7, on, but it's God. And, and this is teaching a very important thing about this. There's this thing called general revelation. General revelation is this idea that nature declares a creator that as you look at the world around us you see it points to the fact that there is a designer that there's a creator that there is a being that exists outside of creation that originated it that designed it that set the laws of nature and physics and the things that we see around us in motion that established these things to be so. The scriptures say that the Lord set the boundaries for the, the seas that they wouldn't go any further. Right, that, that he makes the, his paths through the sea, that he established the, the uh, meteorological cycle with the, the waters, all of these things that we see, uh, that the, the creation points to God. And if we as, as human beings, we look out and we look at nature, we can truly see this, the majesty, the design, the, the beauty, and, and we can say that there must be something more and beyond these things, if we're honest, if we haven't uh, rejected the idea of a creator, as Romans talks about. Uh, however, can we truly understand or discern the nature of God just by looking at the things around us? Maybe before the fall of Adam and Eve, you might have been able to establish more about God's nature and his character and specifics about him. But now we live in a fallen world where there's death where there's injustice, where, where there is destruction and corruption and things that break down. Uh, uh, just driving home yesterday, uh, seeing a, a, a little uh, baby fawn that had been killed on the side of the road. And then today, driving past the same uh, kill, seeing an eagle tearing it apart on the side of the road. You look at those things and you say, that's cruelty, because you see a, a young baby deer that has just been born hit by a car or killed by something and now being destroyed by by this uh, predator as well so we can look at nature and we can say and see certain things about God but really there's no specificity in it besides that God is great and above and beyond these things 
looking at it from a Christian standpoint, I think we discern more and more about it. But from a natural mindset, that's really all that we can discover. Let's continue on. It says the firmament shows his handiwork. That word firmament is a, a beaten out, stretched out, hard surface. Uh, in the Hebrew cosmology, they believed that there was the, it withheld the waters above, like uh, Genesis talks about. Uh, the waters separated from the waters in the Genesis account, this firmament. And, and it speaks of everything that we can see, that the, the sun and the stars and the clouds and the birds and everything is within this, this firmament that we can see, this stretched out expanse. And all that we see there shows the handiwork of the Lord and points to him, his workmanship. It says, day unto day utter speech. It's this idea of a continuous, unbroken account of the Lord. The word uttering speech, it speaks of this bubbling up, unstoppable spring that's pouring forth speech about the Lord. And uh, we know, it will continue on, it says, night unto night reveals knowledge. So just like day is uttering speech, night is revealing knowledge. And you have this constant, unbroken succession. From the time of Genesis 1, where the Lord established the day and established the night, those have not ceased, nor will they cease uh, until the very end. It says, while the earth remains, Genesis 8.22, this is that promise to Noah after the flood, after the destruction. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. That gives us uh, a, a little understanding of the Lord. If we, if we acknowledge and accept that God created the universe, we can acknowledge and accept that that he remains as sovereign and creator over all the things that he has set in motion from beginning to end. There's not a generation from the beginning of Adam all the way down to us that has not had this same baseline uh, experience and, and opportunity to recognize that the Lord is creator over the universe. He has been speaking from day one on. Uh, the nature has been speaking from day one on that the Lord is creator over all things. Even when we get to the book of Revelation, when you see the destruction that's going on, we see nature, uh, you know, we, we're told the world is groaning for the Savior to return. And we see nature uh, and the uh, rebelling against uh, mankind. And we see the things that the Lord uses in those days where he's using uh, the plagues and, and all of these other things to bring about his judgment, and they're all pointing to God being a holy and righteous God as he is, is judging mankind for rejecting him and for rejecting him as creator and savior. Uh, there is a responsibility that every person has from the beginning of time till now to acknowledge God as creator. That's one of the cases, the proofs that, that we see in the New Testament that all men are guilty before God because in us has been established this fact that there is a creator who demands our worship and our respect and our acknowledgement. And every person has that responsibility and that accountability for the things that the Lord has placed in our hearts and he declares before us in nature. Verse 3, it says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. It doesn't matter what nation you come from, what background you are in, what culture you're in. All of the things that we see around us testify to God being the creator of the universe. Verse 4, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. That word uh, line, it's a decree and one of the commentators said that the decree that they're crying out is that man should worship God, the creator. Uh, and it speaks of a, a sound, but also speaks of a business or, or uh, of a, a, a thing that they are constantly working at and declaring over and over their line. Their decree has gone out that mankind should worship the Lord. 
And our responsibility is to heed that and to obey that and to listen to that. And it says there are words to the end of the world. And that uh, word world, uh, it speaks of the inhabited world. So it's speaking of people. It's not just to, you know, nature and, and animals and all of these things. But the point of all of creation, having God's handiwork and his fingerprint on it, is so that mankind can look at it and be pointed and directed to God. And, and the Lord can be acknowledged as creator. Verse 4 continues on. He says, In them he has set a tabernacle for the son, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. That tabernacle, of course, is, is a, a tent, and it speaks of that, that uh, custom of the bridegroom building a house uh, on his father's uh house for his bride and being prepared for the wedding day to burst forth with a torch in hand and a light in hand and celebrating coming for his uh, bride and that's the picture that David writes about as he's seeing the sun rise where the Lord has set this this tent this tabernacle for the sun which hides for a time and then comes out like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber with joy and says and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. So he's moved from just a general picture of, of the heavens and, and of the time and of nighttime and the stars and all of the creation to being looking at the sun. You know, in, in ancient times, the sun was worshipped as the, the supreme God was looked at that because, again, the, the power and glory of the sun, the most visible object in the sky, uh, like David writes here, there's nothing hidden from its heat. It brings life uh, and heat and, and, and light to the world and all of those things. And yet here we read that the sun, the, the, the most powerful thing that we can see in the heavens, again, points to one more powerful. The Lord is creator. Uh, it says that its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. You guys, the scriptures here, David, he's declaring God as creator. He's saying nature points to it. The word says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. We as Christians, we have a heritage with the scriptures. We have a responsibility with the scriptures to take what the word says and what nature around us is pointing to and to stand on the truth and the fact that God has created the earth. And yet... The church, in many cases, modern Christianity is rejecting God as being the creator of the world and, and, and maybe taking a, a, a watered-down viewpoint of what the scriptures say, even and saying that, that, well, yes, God was kind of the original uh, creator of the universe and, and used the laws and, and the, the um, uh, apparatus of evolution to get everything to where we're at now uh, but truly that's again it's watering down the scriptures it's it's playing loose with what the word has said nature around us declares that God has created the world the word declares that God created the world and we as Christians need to stand on that we need to teach our children that the world did not come about through evolution. The universe did not come about through random chance and time and, and eons and eons of death and destruction, but that the world came about through the word of God in a beautiful, perfect, designed, intentional manner that the Lord has established. And as such, he then has a demand upon us as his creatures, as his creation and as we look at the heavens we can say and point out to our children this is how God has designed how great he is and we can also point to the truth of the scriptures that the things that we see like the the dead animal on the side of the road or or the the things like sickness and and destruction and 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 all of those things we can say well those things exist because mankind rebelled against its creator because of sin that entered the world we can look at those things. We as Christians uh, need to stand upon the truth of God's word and what is revealed here. 
and to look at the things around us and, and to recognize that God is all there in his handiwork and what he has done and what he is speaking to us. But again, we can only go so far just with creation. And that's why as we read verse 7, David, he moves from this idea of a general revelation that, yes, is universally uh, spoken and, and, and uttered and, and, and declared. It's universal throughout all of the world, these things that God is the creator and that he exists. And yet more can be known about him. And that more comes from his word. Verse 7, it says, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So as we see creation, as we see the world around us, and we see these things, and we live our lives, and we look, and we, and we acknowledge a creator, we also can see and acknowledge that there are things wrong with us, that there is sin, that there's death, that there's injustice, that there's, there's wickedness in the world. And we can in our own strength, in our own understanding, and we've seen that throughout history with uh, uh, worldly philosophies and governments and, and, and movements of men to make right what's wrong with the world. And yet, the scriptures declare that the thing that converts the soul of man is God's law, is his word. As we see these things, we're going to see over and over again these different ways that David describes the word of God. But we also see that all of the things that the word of God accomplishes are, are everything that we need as people to enjoy and to come into a right relationship with the Lord. It's his word. The law of the Lord, that word is Torah. It's, of course, uh, referencing the first five books, but not just that, it's referencing all of Scripture. But it's speaking of the character of the laws of God, where the law says, this is what is right, this is what is wrong, this is how things came to be, this is how I have acted throughout the history of mankind. The law of the Lord. What does it say? That it's perfect, it's complete, it's entire. There's nothing more that we need than the law the word of God. Our scriptures that we have, men and women moved by the Lord, preserved what we have as the Lord had inspired and moved upon the hearts of men to write these things down, inspired the very words that we have in their original languages. They, men and women throughout history have died to preserve and to, to convey the scriptures into our own languages. And give them into our hands, essentially, so that we can have them. And what we have, we can trust and know. If you do studies on it and you look at the authenticity of the scriptures, we can know that it's perfect. The word of God is perfect. Not only is it perfect in that it's accurate and, and it can be trusted and we can know that it's true, but it's perfect for this purpose, purpose converting the soul of man converting our soul, to turn back, to restore our souls because it points to the Lord and his righteousness. And in his righteousness, the, the way of repentance and the way of a restoration to a relationship with him is through the word of the Lord. The Lord, as he set up his laws in the Old Testament, as he gave them to Moses um, and, and then to the people of Israel, do you remember what happened on the mountain, Mount Sinai? 3,000 souls died. There was rebellion against the Lord. But the laws, they were given uh, to declare God's holiness and righteousness apart from sin. To declare that, yes, there is something wrong with mankind, that man has fallen from the place where God originally created him and and in acknowledging that to start the work of conversion in our hearts to truly rightly uh, point to that sin that evil that wickedness in the soul of mankind and to point him to the Lord and to cry out at the need for a savior that's why we have 
not only in the laws that were given that declare what is right and what is wrong, the holiness uh, of the Lord and man's wickedness, but also provided a, a means of atoning for that through the sacrificial system. And not only that, but pointing forward, of course, to Jesus, to the Lord, to Christ himself. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Remember, as David's writing this, as he's pondering these things, he doesn't have the New Testament. He doesn't have some of the, the prophetic books, even, that we have in the Old Testament. And yet he says it's perfect to convert the soul, to restore the soul. He goes on, he says, the testimony or witness of the Lord is sure. In, in uh, Hebrew, that's where we get our English word, Amen. The testimony of the Lord is amen, meaning let it be. It's sure. It, it's, it's got a, a stamp and a seal uh, of surety. It's faithful. It's certain. You can, be, you can trust it. The Lord's testimony, what he has witnessed, again, about what's right and wrong, can be trusted. Uh, and it says that it will make wise the simple. Uh, we can be taught the use of knowledge, the use of the right and wrong things. We can be taught what is all of the, the truth that the scriptures say, but not just taught it as in soaking it in our heads and gaining knowledge, but wisdom is use of knowledge. The, the testimony of the Lord teaches us how to live right, to make wise the simple, the foolish, the gullible is what that word means. The word of God. Uh, can make us wise. We have struggles in our life. Go to the word of God. You have a, a question about what to do uh, in, in your business. You can go to the word of God. It doesn't give you specifics necessarily on business decisions, but at the same time, it teaches you the right way to bring glory to God, what to do as a Christian, as a believer holiness and righteousness and, and justice and those things. You have a, a, a difficult uh, relationship. Your marriage is on the rocks. Go to the word of God and it teaches you the, the wise and right thing to do in your relationships. Uh, how to deal with uh, the people around you. All of those things, all the struggles that we have, the testimony of the Lord is sure, is certain to make us wise to no longer be foolish or gullible. You want protection against false doctrine and false teaching. Know God's word. Without it, you're led astray. If you rely on what other people say, pastor in a pulpit, a guy on YouTube, somebody on the radio, a book that you got from the Christian bookstore, you rely on those things, uh, you're liable to be led astray unless they are pointing you directly to the word of God and you are yourself going to the word of God to test what you're hearing, to test what you're, you're seeing, to know it. But they can, the word of God, his testimony makes us wise and protects us from those things. David continues on and he says, the statutes of the Lord are right. It's a precept or a uh, responsibility that God places on his people. That's what he says. It, it says, you shall you shall not. Uh, we see over and over in the scriptures, we see this demand that God places upon his people, the statutes that he has said, that they are right. Meaning there's no, there's no wrong that the Lord has established in his word. We can trust, we can live by it. And if we live by God's word, we can know that we're walking right and, and trusting what is right and true. They're morally and ethically right. And what is the end result? Rejoicing the heart. You know, through COVID, we had a lot of uh, laws and a lot of things that were coming down on people. Uh, we dealt with it uh, here in, in Washington State and across the world, uh, the nations, and even in, in the U.S., where there were laws that were going to be passed that were going to force groups of people to be vaccinated or to lose their jobs. In fact, it came across for a lot of people. Uh, 
And uh, yet, over time, we began to see these, these laws that were moving against people and, and against uh, their livelihood and, and removing them from their workplace. We saw that as they went to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court would strike them down. Didn't happen with everything, but we saw that. And I know for myself how many times I would watch that happen and you'd, you'd hope for and you'd be praying that these things would not pass. They'd be struck down as unconstitutional. And when they were, finally there was a relief and a rejoicing saying, yeah, I don't have to, deal, I don't have to worry about now losing my job because I'm standing upon my convictions that I have here. And, and in that same aspect, we see the, the statutes of the Lord, the, the, the responsibility that, that he has called out and he has demanded upon mankind. When he declares them and we walk in them right, we have that same relief and that rejoicing and that comfort. We can know that, that justice and righteousness is established in the Lord and in what he said and in his word that we can trust that his word is our protection. His word is our relief. His word is, is our uh, shelter and our sanctuary because of his character and who he is and what he's done for us. Verse 8 continues on. It says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's uh, clean is what that word says, pure. Uh, morally pure, uh, as well as bright. So it's not just this purity of, uh, of like pure water or purely refined gold, but it's actually speaking of a bright, pure light, which goes right along with what David writes there, enlightening the eyes, to bring light as instruction to our mental and spiritual faculties. Many times we as Christians, we look at the story that we see of the fall of man and we see wickedness and sin that has entered the world and we, we look at we, and we see the physical aspects of that, the thorns and, and uh, death and, and sicknesses and, and, and weakness and, and, and all of those things. But one of the things that we can tend to miss out on and, and not acknowledge is that at the same time as the physical parts that make us sick and, and break down and all of those things, it also has affected the mind of man, the mind of, of humanity, is that uh, the mind of man fell at the same time as everything else with sin, affected by all of it. And as such, we need our minds and our hearts and our spirits to be enlightened by the word of God. And that comes to by us being in it, to spending time in it, to have our eyes opened. We can believe the right thing about how we deal in a situation uh, and, and that we believe it's right. And yet we, if we take it to the word of God, we can see that these things are wrong. That's uh, in... Uh, modern psychology, man rejecting God, attempted to come about answers to all the things that were brought about in the world because of the fall of man, because of sin, uh, and, and the brokenness of the mind, and the things that uh, sin r brings about in, in our lives um, and our minds and all of those things. And, and psychology has attempted to deal with them uh, apart from God, and yet all it does is it deals with symptoms rather than dealing with the actual uh, uh, source of those things, which is sin. We want enlightenment. We want to, to have our eyes opened to the right things and how to live right and how to walk right with the Lord and how to deal with the situations in our lives, sin and struggles and depression and and temptations and all of these things, it's the word of the Lord that is pure, that is bright, that opens those things up for us. And in his word, we have the solutions and the answers because, again, they point to him and they point to his character and they point to his nature and how we should live and have a right relationship with him. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Verse 9, it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. You might say, okay, we have 
the law and the testimony and the statutes and the commandment. And later on in verse 9, we have the judgments. Um, and you say, well, how does the fear of the Lord fit in this? It's not, uh, in our minds, a synonym for the law of God or the scriptures or the word. But, but in David's mind and in the, whole, the mind of the Lord in his spirit, as he inspired David to write these things, it was one and the same. The fear of the Lord, a right understanding of who God is, his holiness and his righteousness. And it comes about only through his word. Again, we looked at general revelation before. We're looking at special, specific revelation, which is revealed uh, God's character in his word. And, and God's character in his word reveals those things as his righteousness and his holiness. And then the right response as those things are being taught and read and we're hearing those things as fear, as reverence, as awe. And then it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Clean means to be tried and found pure. That there is nothing wrong with fearing God. That fearing God, we know the scriptures say, is the beginning of wisdom. That the, the fear of the Lord starts us out on the right path of living and how to walk with him. That the fear of the Lord, a good, healthy fear of God's power to judge sin, God's holiness and separation from us as mankind, and of God's impending judgment on a world that's rejected him, that all of those things are clean and pure, and that it endures forever that when something is done out of the fear of the Lord and, and that healthy understanding of him, that it, it has this lasting effect. We want to have true and right change in our hearts and our lives. Understand God's holiness, right? You're struggling with sin. Maybe you've been toying with something that you shouldn't be toying with, looking at things you shouldn't be looking at or reading or listening to or 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 flirting with someone, or, or uh, dealing with bitterness in your heart. If you consider and step back the Lord's holiness, and also his judgment upon all of these things, and fearing him for his character, that has a lasting effect and a change in your heart and your life, to have that true understanding of God's righteousness and holiness. And he said he will judge sin. In fact, he's already judged sin. And we see that throughout the scriptures. It, it endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous all together. What God has judged on a matter can be trusted. That word judgment speaks of all forms of government. It's not like our modern society and government that's separated legislative and executive and judicial. It's all of those things together. The Lord has established the law and says this is what's right and this is what's wrong. The Lord executes the law and saying this is how things will be done and I will accomplish them. And he's the judicial side as well and he judges whether things are right or wrong. All of those things, the judgments of the Lord, we find in the word of God. And they are true and righteous. Again, that word true means amen. It's trustworthy, faithful, certain, let it be. And righteous altogether. There is no, nothing wrong with them. They conform completely to righteous standard because it comes from the Lord. People want to criticize and knock down the word of God and say that there's cruelty and there's uh, wickedness and God is a, a, a hard, cruel, evil God because of the things that he's established. And yet it's completely contrary to what the word of God says and what is revealed of his character as we true and rightly assess and read and understand and believe what he's established, that he is true and righteous and his word is true and righteous all together. And when we spend time in the word, when we devote ourselves to the word of God, then we can cry out as David does in verse 10. and says, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. There's a difference there. Gold is, that word gold is just that. It's just gold. It's like gold you can find or mine or pull out of the earth, pan from a river. Um, and the second word is fine gold. It's refined gold. 
So it's not just gold that's valuable that men hunt down and try to dig out of the earth, but it's even better. It's pure, fine, refined gold. It's not just something rough that we need to refine and to work on and to make fit to our culture and our society and make relevant. It's refined and purified and established as being true is his word more to be desired than fine gold. It says, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Many times we can say it's hard to read. It's hard to spend time. Sometimes I get tired uh, of reading or, or, or it's easy to fall asleep and all of these things. But I think when we truly devote and put effort into spending time in the word of God and asking the Lord to speak to us, to teach us these things, to convert our soul, to make us wise, to give us joy in our hearts and enlighten our eyes, and, and all of these things that the Lord says he provides in his word, then it becomes sweeter than honey in the honeycomb. It's not a chore. It's not a, a, just a duty or responsibility that we have. The word says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we taste and see that he's good? It's by testing him and taking him at his word stepping out in faith by what he said and as we see that he is good we see that his word is good sweeter than honey in the honeycomb it goes down right it it it, it heals and makes right what is in our heart as we as we trust and believe the word of god and that's what it says moreover by them your servant is warned and in keeping them there is great reward the beauty and the point of the word of God is to warn us, to warn us of his righteousness, to warn us of the effects of sin, to warn us of the right way to go, to convict us, to draw us back to him, to convert us, to point us to the Lord. And when we keep his word, there's great reward. In the keeping of God's word, there is great reward. And in them, there is great reward. We have eternity. We have life. We have relationship with the Lord. And that's the point. As David moves on there, we saw a creator declared by nature, by creation, that he's above and beyond, that he's established these things, these laws, and all of the things that provide for life here in the world in which we live that he's moved on from that to the law, the specific revelation of the Lord. And that's what we see 7 through 11. We see what are all these things. It's not just law, not just testimony, not just statutes, not commandment, not fear, not just judgments, but they're of the Lord. Specific Yahweh is what it's speaking of. The law of the Lord, of Yahweh, of the I am I am who I am, the becoming one as he's declared himself in the scriptures. We see that the creator of the universe declaring himself to be God over all, declaring that his word is true and right, pointing to his character of converting the soul, making wise the simple, giving joy to our hearts, enlightening our eyes, being clean and true and righteous. All of those things are his character, who he is, and he is declared by his word to be, we see his, his specific character and nature, and we only find that in the word of God. But there's an even deeper revelation that we can have, and that's a personal revelation of the Lord dealing with us in our hearts. And that's why David cries out there in that verse 11, by, your, by them your servant is warned. And in keeping them there is great reward. He says, well, okay, if, if the Lord has established the world around me and I can see and point to the fact that there's a creator out there, that God exists and his glory is there and declared from day to day and night to night, the sun and the moon and the stars and the heavens and, and all of these things, and beyond that, seeing that the Lord has declared who he is and his character and his nature and his righteousness and his holiness and his judgment on sin. If I see all of these things, then there's a right response that I have to take. And that's be warned by them to keep his words. 
and in that that then opening of the doors of that responsibility and that response then we can see David cry out as is the response of a person convicted by the spirit of God of his of who his character is and and what he has done for us we can say who can understand his errors remember the prophet who was brought before the throne of God and he and he says woe is me for I'm undone I'm a man of unclean lips he's a prophet called by the Lord to declare his truth and his word and his righteousness. And yet he says, there's evil and wickedness coming out of my mouth. The Lord thankfully cleanses him with that, that burning coal that cleanses his lips. But as we spend time in the word, then we're, we, we have that mirror that the word is shining light on our hearts. As I was uh, studying for this, I was reading Charles Spurgeon, and he was talking about this verse in verse 13. And, and he spent over half of his sermon as he was writing on just this very fact that we cannot truly understand the depths of our own sin, the depths of our own evil and wickedness in our hearts. Uh, that we, as we walk with the Lord, as we uh, have this relationship with him, uh, our walk should become easier because we're falling more and more on the Lord's grace. But at the same time, I think we come to understand more and more of our fallenness, of our wickedness, of where we fall short, of the sin that's in our hearts and our lives and the wickedness of flesh because we have more and more of the Lord's holiness and righteousness revealed in us. But to come to this place where we say, who can understand his errors? That word errors speaks of, of inadvertent sins, things done in ignorance. Can we truly understand? Can we weigh whether our motives are truly right in God's eyes? Can we truly honestly look at our own hearts and say, I'm doing this for the right reason? Even in the best of things that we do. No, the word says that all of our righteousnesses are like filthy rags in God's eyes. We can't truly weigh and discern those things. Only the Lord can. The Lord can truly parse out and discern and understand our hearts and the things in our hearts and is the one who can deal with them. He is who understands. And so that's why David cries out and says, I'm falling upon the Lord. He says, cleanse me from secret faults. So he goes on from inadvertent sin to secret faults. And that, that speaks of those hidden things in our hearts that we haven't told anyone. They haven't revealed to anyone those things that we might blush about if someone knew. But we know that our sins in our hearts and our lives. It says there's, there's these inadvertent things that we don't even know about because of our sin nature. The Lord deals with those. But we can also cry out and call upon the Lord to cleanse us from those secret things in our own hearts as well. To cleanse us from secret faults. The psalmist in, in Psalm 51, remember what he cries out, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. That should be our response as we're spending time in the word of God. We can, we can cry out to him, his laws were established to declare his holiness and righteousness and to declare our wickedness and sinfulness. And those who would say you can fulfill and keep the law of God so that you can be right in his eyes are telling you only half the truth. And that's what a majority of the New Testament Paul and John and other writers were writing about and against was those who would come in after Jesus came on the scene and declared his righteousness and, and his salvation and his redemption from sin and all of those things where there were those Judaizers and, and men and women coming in and saying, well, no, you have to keep the laws. You have to keep the Sabbath. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep the feast. You can only eat and touch these things. And to do all of these other things. But it's in the work of the Lord. In his heart. In our hearts. That he has done with his spirit. 
as we place our faith in him to deal with those errors, to deal with those things where, where like Jesus says, as he enlightens what the law of God is, it's not just living by the law. It's not living by the word or by the letter, but it's the spirit of the law. And in the spirit of the law, as we assess our own hearts, we can say we, we don't live up to those things. We don't stand upon those. We can't. We cannot. We cry out and say, who will save me from this body of death? Who will rescue us from this sin that we have? And it's only in Jesus and what he's done. But his word, it, it reveals those things in, it, in our hearts. And we cry out to the Lord and ask him to cleanse us from those things that he has revealed. Those things that, that are in our hearts as we confess and we repent and we turn to him for salvation from those things. It's so beautiful here, David's relationship with the Lord. As he had this relationship with the Lord that it just lines right up with what the New Testament declares about salvation, of trusting in the Lord for uh, forgiveness from sin. It's because God's character has remained the same from beginning to end. Modern man wants to separate even modern Christianity wants to separate the God of the Old Testament from the God of the New Testament. They're one and the same. And David acknowledges this and sees this relationship. He says, it's the Lord who shows us our errors. It's the Lord who can only truly cleanse us from secret faults. And it's the Lord, verse 13, who can keep us back from presumptuous sin, sins. That's speaking of transgressions. And who can keep us from them having dominion over us. And he says, then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. There's this progression that takes place. There's errors. If those errors are not dealt with, then they turn into secret faults. If those secret faults are not dealt with, then they turn into presumptuous sins, which turns into great transgression. But as the Spirit of the Lord convicts us of these things, and we have this opportunity to repent, to confess, confess, to agree with Him about these things, and then there's that cleansing that takes place and that dealing with those things. And we can be blameless before the Lord. And it's not because of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's why David goes on to verse 14. He says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The word strength is rock. And if you read Psalm 18, that's what David is crying out to the Lord. Verse 46, the Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. He cries out and says, God is my salvation. He's my rock. He's my, my sure thing, the foundation I can rest upon the thing that I can trust and put my faith in. He is my rock. And, but he goes on, he says, he's not just my rock, but my redeemer. What's beautiful here is that word redeemer is goel. It's the kinsman redeemer. David here was crying out and standing upon this promise that there would be one who would redeem him from his sin. And the redeemer would be a kinsman of his. It's a prophetic cry that David has here. That the Lord is his strength and his kinsman redeemer. We don't have time, but I'd encourage you to read Leviticus 25, 25. Um, the book of Ruth talks about kinsman redeemer and Boaz. Remember that? And then Job 19, 25. Job himself cries out and says, I know that my redeemer lives. And at the end, I shall stand in my flesh and see him. So what... Job cries out. This idea of a kinsman redeemer. David was looking forward to the even greater revelation, not just the nature revealing a creator, not even just the scriptures revealing the specificity of God, Yahweh being the God in his righteousness and character, but pointing forward to Jesus being the ultimate revelation of God and his character and his dealing with us. And we as, as Christians, as believers, we need to fall in love with the word of God. So as we fall in love with the word of God, we have all these blessings. We can see nature around us. We can cry out and praise the Lord. Uh, a rejection of God as creator is the beginning of the downfall of civilization, of culture and society, and in fact, the heart of man. 
as we read about in Romans. As we spend time in the word, we can see his perfection and his, his sufficiency to deal with everything that we face with in our lives in the word of God. But most importantly, we can be pointed towards this right personal relationship with the Lord and walk with him and rejoice with him and have this fellowship with him like David where we can say, who can understand his errors? Lord, cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. To trust the Lord to deal with us and to cleanse us and to make us blameless and innocent because of Christ and who he is and what he's done for us. And then we can have that prophetic perspective where we say like Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, that I'm going to see him, that I'm going to be with him, that in my flesh I'm going to see God that we can trust and know him, that only comes from his word and the spirit illuminating the word in our hearts and our lives. And if we reject it, if we put it on the shelf, if we don't spend time in it, we're missing out on all the blessings that God has given us. Let's pray.